Hello everyone and welcome to another Not A Podcast with me, Zizi Adams. And me, also Zizi Adams, Andrew. And today we've got some very special guests. Um, would you like to introduce yourselves? Well, considering I butted in before, I may as well go for goodness. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm Rowena Harding-Smith and I'm a crime writer. Uh, I'm Joe Byrne and uh, I write un- under JCM Byrne and I'm a recently self-published author. Awesome. Well, it's brilliant to have you both here. Um, as you know, <laughs> this is not a podcast. We that whatever we want for an hour or so. Um, so... Joe, tell us how your um, writing's been going and your work's been going over. <laughs> I finished um, the first round of line edits on book two. Went back to my lovely line editor, um, and I started seriously planning book three, which I had been putting off for too long. I wanted to get to it during NaNoWriMo, and uh, I realized my outline is skimpier than it needs to be. That's been the last couple of days. And of course, you know, having a full-time job and kids to manage and a wife uh, makes everything a little, a little more difficult. It's good, but it makes it more difficult. So. Yeah, for sure. Would you like to tell us a bit about your series? Um, yeah. Uh, so the first book is, is available on Amazon. It's called Wistful Ascending. And uh, I have a hard time describing it well. It's a superhero science fiction story. And uh, it's... I write superhero stories where I'm trying to be funny without being silly or goofy, because a lot of the superhero fiction tends in that direction. And I try to be uh, uh, resonate emotionally without being grim, because I'm not, um, uh, you know, a lot of people are into grimdark, and that's great, but that's not my, uh, my arena, so to speak. So I think the first book, I'll tell you what, if you read it, it's exactly what I wanted it to be. So if you don't like it, that's fair. But <laughs> the tone, the, uh, you know, you should laugh and you should enjoy it. So I don't know. That's a, that's the series. And it, it's, 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 a, it's, 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 the whole thing was spun off of, um, uh, I read Invincible and thought there were pieces of it I could do better. If you read the comic. If you haven't read the comic. I'm reading it. <laughs> reading it so far, Joe, and I'm enjoying it. Thank you. It's definitely better than Pride and Prejudice so far. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly my target. I grabbed a copy last week. I've not read it yet, but I've had a very busy week, so. But I will. No, no. Thank you. I'm guessing. I'm guessing to an extent, our our books are a little bit grim. I guess they're not grim. I wouldn't call them grim dark, but they they have their moments. I'd say your chapters are grim, mate. Well, yeah. I mean, I do write. I do write that quite a lot, don't I? But I've got, I've got, I've got the the two psycho characters. Well, one officially psycho and one not. But yeah. Um, I'd just like to point out that you came up with those characters as well. I did come up with those characters, yeah. But I, I do like writing psychopaths. Because, you know, I'm just saying. Yeah. They're, they're, they're quite interesting people. Um, Awesome. Yeah. I have to say one thing that I don't think I've told you before. When I read your books, there is not a uh, a break in tone between chapters. I know people have said they can tell who writes what. 
but when reading it, I do not feel that. And I find that to be amazing. I don't, that doesn't feel like a book written by two different people from alternating, you know, writers. And, and you guys handle that amazingly well. And that, that takes a tremendous amount of skill. Uh, I'm very impressed by it. Oh, well, thank you. I have to say, I, I agree with that too. I, I can't pick who's writing what. And I think the turn is completely even all the way through. I'm very impressed. Yeah. We spend a lot of time working at that. And one of the really funny things we found is when we're going back over stuff, we'll often say, hey, here's a bit you wrote. And I'll say that. I'll say that to Jay and he'll be like, no, I didn't write that. You wrote that. And I will have, <laughs> I have no memory of writing it. I'm pretty sure he wrote it. So even amongst the two of us, we don't know who wrote what. Um, but, but as a general rule, uh, we write one POV character or two POV characters each. And we write that entire chapter. So that's the base draft. That is going to and change, then, change and, a little in the last two books because we've got several more um, characters who've been side characters who are going to get their own POVs. Yeah, that that will change. And then we then the rest of the the drafting and editing process that we put it through is all of is all there to try to capture anything that's missing and also even out the voice. Yeah, for sure. And you know the. I, I think the great thing about it is, it is when when I'm looking when I'm looking and editing, and I'll come across a bit that I think is really funny. I'll send it to Andrew, and and, and he'll he'll claim I wrote it, and I'll claim he wrote it. So, but I, I guess when when people's heads are being chopped off and nasty things are happening, it's probably me. Usually, usually. <laughs> so, Marina, how, not how, always. How's your how's your when writing been going? Mine? Oh, oh, mine's been a bit dreadful, but um, I've been doing a couple of courses because that's always a good thing to do. So I've I've done this great course on on plate, and also writing conflict. Um, I mean, I write conflict all the time, and 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 I'm absolutely interested in place. Um, but it was interesting to get a, a formal a formal view of of what I sort of do intuitively mm. was it helpful yes it was it, it it's helpful mm. in that yes did i how much did i learn i i don't I'm not sure how much i learned but what i was able to do was articulate what i knew and i couldn't do that before so for example um in terms of writing conflict um there's this theory of triangulation where, where if you have two people having an argument it's not. It's a lim it's a limited thing that you can do. It's like a limited sphere of influence where you almost know what they're going to say to each other. Um, but if you introduce a third person into that, say for example, if there are two adults having an argument, and they suddenly realise they're being overheard or watched by a small child from a corner of the door frame, for example, that changes the dynamics completely and makes it much more interesting. So, I mean, that sort of thing I find fascinating because, you know, if you, when you write conflict and you do it in a, in a triangle, and I didn't quite know why that worked as opposed to why two people together worked but not quite as well. So it offers like a moderating effect. I quite like that. Yeah. Well, I think it introduces more 
dimension into the argument. So what they're saying has more impact on just between the two of them. It has more of a global impact. So you get more power going into the into the words. That kind of thing could also be quite funny by the two people mm. moderating their language in a way, or or. Yeah, that's right. Yes, yeah. so using so using euphemisms I, that the child won't understand. Mm, that's right. Well, although instead of a child, you could have you know another adult. You know, yeah. you have a uh, parent or or a neighbour or you know anybody who who can make the triangle because that makes it more dramatic. But that I thought that was really interesting. And the other what about thing, I, adding adding the mm. other. Sorry, what about adding the other dimension of 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 them having a surface level discussion about seemingly about topic a but one of the characters is actually talking about topic b and, yes and the, you, you, the reader has visibility yeah. into that well that's an interesting thing yeah and well if you if you triangulate that 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 happens quite organically because if you if you're trying to talk around a topic without letting someone else know what the topic is you'll use much more interesting language Whereas if, if there's no one listening, then you're just going to say what you mean mm. most of the time, unless you're passive-aggressive, <laughs> in which case you won't say what you mean at all. You just hint at it. Most of my characters are passive-aggressive. <laughs> most of Jay's are not. <laughs> no, they're just aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> they're not passive. No, they're definitely not passive. No, I don't think any of your characters are passive. No, in any way. Constantly in motion. That's a right of good passive character. Well, when your character's passive I, and you try to write them, it's, it's, they, they, they continue to do nothing is not a great chapter. No, absolutely not. <laughs> I tried to write a story with a character who... I tried to write a story with um, with very low sort of what's the right word? Right. Um, I guess I guess where 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 what the character was trying to achieve was not very profound. Um, remember the Gerda story, Rowena, with which all she wanted oh. was a cup of tea. Oh yeah, yeah. I love that story. She also wanted a but, cake. That's right. <laughs> It got rejected so many times because everyone's like, the stakes aren't high enough. And I'm like, no, that was the point. She's kind of passive. She just wants a cup of tea and a piece of cake. And then all this stuff keeps happening to her. Um, but that didn't go down very well. No, it's a bit of a genre-breaking story, that one. It's funny, isn't yeah. it? When you, when you try and write something that's a bit different or a bit out there, people, people don't – I think people have a hard time buying into what they're doing because it's different and unusual. Mm. I had this when I tried to sell um, um, school report that people didn't get the, the point it was making. I think, and they, they just they just focused on it like any other piece of writing, and and not what it was doing and trying to do. But hey, we put that out now, so it's there if people want to read it. That, that's the irony of the whole thing, right? Like um, uh, the gatekeepers, you know, the publishers. Uh, they're looking for something that you know, they, they know will succeed because it's similar to other successful things. But the most successful things are always the things that break the mold in a particularly good way. You know, Harry Potter gets rejected over and over again, but 
everyone is looking for the next Harry Potter when they really, they should be looking for the next thing that's Harry Potter-like in the sense of being original. But they're afraid to do that. Yes. Yes, they're risking their money. Yes. We were just talking. Yeah. Yes. The same uh, novel like Gone Girl um, by Gillian Flynn was a, an excellent novel and it was totally genre-breaking. And I, I don't know how many times it would have been rejected until some brave person published it. Hmm. And now it's a genre all by itself, so it created a genre as a result. I have to finish reading that. Yeah, it's good. I was enjoying the prose. Yeah, it's gripping. It's, it's well written and a, and a great, great plot as well. But I have to finish Wistful Ascending first. Thank you. <laughs> I have to start Wistful Ascending. I'm sorry I haven't read it. Will? Well, I've, I've, I've got several, several, I don't know, probably at least 150 rejections on Malachi. Oh, um, wow. But, but, I, but, but a few of the agents who I sent it to um, said they loved it, but they just didn't think it would sell. That was their reason. They thought it was a really good novel, but not for selling. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, of course, uh, the critical places to sell are into the uh, discount uh, supermarkets. And I, I can't see it in, you know, in a no. supermarket. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> it's not that sort of book. Well, it's, it's... No, it's not the sort of discount bin novel that one. Well, Harry Harry Potter invented a whole new a whole new thing, really. Um, selling books, as a, selling books as a lost leader. Uh, apparently, um, and you can check this out with the stats. Harry Harry Potter made absolutely no money um, from from like the fourth book onwards. It, it made nothing. Um, because what was happening was supermarkets were buying it to sell as a lost leader. So it was come in and get your Harry Potter for seven quid rather than 15 quid and, you know, buy some milk and some eggs on the way. Um, and if you look at the stats of the, the number of books sold to the money made in the years that the Harry Potter books came out, there was no real change in the amount of money made, just in the number of books sold. That's interesting. Yeah. It's like TVs at Walmart and on Black Friday. Well, of course, the, the, publisher, the publisher got the money for the books because they were being paid by the supermarket, right? They got their, whatever it was, their 10, 10 quid or $10 or whatever. And they just sold it, they just sold it at a cheaper price because they know that when they did their silly open at 12 a.m. to get your next, next Harry Potter book, you know, parents come in and one in the morning, um, A, their kids are going to be doing the whole, I want that, I want that, and putting things in the basket. Um, so that was always going to make money. And then, you know, the adults there were thinking, well, you know, while I'm here, I might as well get a leg of lamb or something. So it, it was, it's a good tactic as far as Asda or, you know, Sainsbury's were concerned. But it, it, one of the reasons I think... Um, there was there was a lot of outrage from actual bookshops because they were just selling it at the full you know fourteen ninety nine fifteen ninety nine whatever it was and of course no one was going there they were they were getting it at the supermarket for seven ninety nine 
<laughs> it was turned into a marketing tool. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Interesting. Oh, but it was so popular. Oh yeah. Hmm. So popular. I can see ZZ Adams as a marketing tool. You know, I think it's set up there quite nicely. A set of ZZ Adams books, you know, one minute past midnight, now reduced. Well, I, I wouldn't say no to that, to be honest with you. I, I quite <laughs> like that. World, worldwide distribution in that kind. I mean, it, 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 it was a hysteria, wasn't it, really? I must, yeah. I must have, you know. People lining up. And you know what kids are like with that kind of thing. They must be the. They must have it on the first day, right? Otherwise, their world is destroyed. So, you know, try dealing with that as a parent. There must be tiers of popularity, right? There's a point where you're so popular that a number of kids are certain sorts of kids are going to feel left out if they haven't read it. You know, oh, like for sure. Like yeah. Past the tipping mm -hmm. point. Where you're just gonna have to, you're gonna go grab like a, a certain percentage of the market because they feel the the need to read you. And yeah, and and take take you into school the next day to show they they've got a copy before everybody else, right? That's another, you know, it's a yeah. it's a bit of one-upmanship, really. And it plays into all of that really successfully. You know, I can't see a bunch of fourth graders fighting over who got the first copy of Malachi at the discount bin. No, that's true. They'd be, they'd be, they'd be, they'd have to go and buy tissues as well to to, to soak their tears and bandages to, to cover up their wrists. Yeah, you know, well, that's what I'd do. I'd be, I'd be giving away a free copy of Malachi with a twelve set of tissues. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. you're just guaranteed to sell more tissues. It works every time. Twelve set of tissues and a safety razor. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Oh, it's not that bad. For use in emergency, break glass. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, no, it's not that bad, Jake. <laughs> it's almost that bad. It has most people bored. It's, all, it, it's almost that bad. It's a very emotionally charged book, that one. I want to ask, what, what does everyone think about um, these box sets of particularly science fiction um novels that that authors are selling like box sets like all the whole series in one set and they're basically 99 cents it doesn't appeal to me if i don't know the, the, the work of the writer you know i'm, I'm not going to commit to reading a, a series that, I, that i've got no idea of um if it was, if it was like i don't know uh, michael moorcock or someone like that and, and I, i've read their stuff and i know it's good i might be tempted But it's usually, it's not, right? It's going to be the people who are pump, pump, pumping out a book every six weeks. And the books are relatively short, and it's, it, it's the marketing plan of, of today in self-publishing, the most common. Hmm. You know, it's people who are, are, are they're looking for a particular kind of reader who is uh, more voracious and not as picky. And they're willing to just kind of fast, quickly read through a book, and they don't really care if the plot doesn't always make sense and the characters don't always resonate. And but it's like a fun, it's a pulp, it's pulp, right? Yeah, I guess I'm not really a target, but I mean, I, the thing is, I've, I've read pulp novels that I've really enjoyed. Um, yeah, some of them, I'm sure some of them are, are good, and definitely some are better than others. But they're going for that pulp thing where you're just going to go, oh, and if you're selling pulp and you can get like seven of them for 99 cents and you're looking for a pulp, that's great. 
And that's, that's a, if you have time to read that sort of thing, and that's how you spend your free time. And there's nothing, I'm not, I'm not, I don't mean to put those people down. I mean, it, they're making money, and I'm not. Um, some of them are. Some of them are making a lot of money. But that's, 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 that's the, the strategy, right? If, you, if, you're, if, you, if you're taking a year to make a book, and you're selling it, and, and you're really putting craft into it in hours and hours and editors and you're getting a nice cover made, you can't sell seven of those for 99 cents and ever be okay, like financially. No, you can't, for we, sure. We've seen, people, we've seen people doing this as well. You know, I mean, the whole idea to write a book, you know, a book a month and release it. And you have to ask how much quality can you put into it? We, we wanted a level of quality with the stuff we were doing, so we were never going to do that. But yeah, it definitely works as a tactic. We've seen people making a lot of money from it. If my short-term goal was making a living doing this, I'd be doing that, if I could. Or I'd be trying to do that. For better or for worse, that's not my short-term goal. So. Yeah, I agree. Same for us, really. I also have a hard time with that. I'm not good at writing pulp. I've sat down and tried to just crank out like a fast-paced, not very, you know, in whatever that is. I've tried, I've tried to do it. I'm not good at it. Honestly, if I was good at it, it would be a very different sort of <laughs> challenge. I, maybe I'd succumb. I don't know. But it doesn't, it doesn't, you know, I get bored with that. I think it's interesting, right. too. It's, it's, it seems to be certain genres, right? Because, so, for example, I've not seen... Uh, in in the thriller, or the the you know sort of the genre that you write in, for example, Rowena, um, domestic noir. Is that am I getting that right? I've not seen people selling box sets of 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 those for for ninety nine cents. <laughs> That'd be just too depressing. No, no. <laughs> like oh my god, good point. <laughs> you have a domestic noir. For Christmas, no, have three of them in night. <laughs> right, light reading for the house bound. Sorry, go on, <laughs> does, does your stuff, I mean, they don't, I assume they don't really come in series the same way, or do they? Maybe I'm wrong. Um, yes, they do. That was, well, some of them do. Well, well, it's like any kind of crime fiction. Um, you get a series. Sherlock Holmes, for example, is a is a series. Um, Serialized, isn't it? Yeah, but most of them are not a series, so no, it's it's different to speculative fiction. Um, but also because quite often in the crime fiction, somebody dies, and it's hard to make a series from that person because they're dead. However, mm. not everybody dies. Um, so what what I what. <laughs> Um, what I do is, is I, I, I take minor characters and have them appear in other books, so there's a linkage that way, mm. and I set them in the same place, which is around Sydney Harbour. Um, Love that idea. So, so there's a kind of continuity there, but it's not a series per se. And setting is such a big part of your stories too, your, your, your books, Rowena, mm -hmm. from what I can tell. That Sydney Harbour yes. setting, yes. Is so, it's like a character. It is a character, yes, absolutely, yes. Mm. Yeah. But in terms of box sets, I, I, do, I don't buy box sets. No, I, I, as a reader, um, I much prefer to buy the individual novel and, and see if I like it. And then if I like it, I'll buy the next one. But I tend not to commit to the whole series. Um, mm. Also, also, the reason I 
don't is because I really don't like having a box on my bookshelf, which is really pathetic reason for not buying a box set. But, you know, it comes in a box. Will I take it out of the box and throw the box away? No. So I don't have this box on my bookshelf, which annoys me. But then I'm just very idiosyncratic that way. So I would much rather buy an individual book with a really nice cover and put it on the bookshelf. Mm. That makes sense. Mm. Or or have an ebook, for example. Which case well, a lot of these the the these um, science fiction ones, I don't even think they're putting out a physical box set. I think they're just mm. calling them a box set, but it's an ebook mm. that has it's almost like a multi-volume ebook. Yeah. Um, the other thing I dislike, you yeah. see, is, is oh, I don't dislike ZZ Adams because each of your novels are complete. So when I get to the end of one, I feel satisfied that you've answered my, my um, or the important questions. But you've still got links that you can explore in the next book, and I'm happy with that. But a lot of the, I, I really dislike the, the to be continued, you know, mm. on this cliffhanger event and that means I have to buy the next book to find out what happens and that really annoys me because I feel coerced into buying the next book yes mm. and and so that's my other issue with with box set are they actually really yeah. really novels or are they just one big novel that's been sliced arbitrarily we're kind of borderline on that, I think, where we, you know, we try really hard to have a conclusion to each to each of the novels, but it is one long serialised story, oh, really. It is, so it's, actually, it's a struggle. Hmm. You do you do set up um, you do set up issues which are ongoing, but you answer the main questions for the novel and the ones I've read. I think I've read them all. I'm currently reading what number six is it? Counterpunch. Yeah. You're reading, a- you're reading one that nobody's read yet because no, we, haven't, we haven't put it out. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's, it's um, so, our art copy. Are you reading that? Yes, yeah. so, so I, can't, I can't speak for anything beyond this one. I haven't finished this one or beyond, but the previous ones mm. have all fit sufficiently to make me feel satisfied. So if I said I don't want to buy the next one, I, I had that option as opposed to leaving me dangling, which just is annoying. So you're, you're achieving that nice balance, I think, between um, having, a, having a, a hook into the next one and, and satisfying the reader that this one's finished. Yeah, we, ha- we haven't ended one on a cliffhanger yet. Sorry, Joe. Go ahead. No, you're right. You ha- I agree with what Romina just said, and I was going to add, you guys should put the first three chapters of the next book at the end of each ebook. And so they sort of say, look, it's done. Here you can be satisfied. This is the end of this book. But if you want a sneak peek, here's the first three chapters of the next one. That'll hook you. Because that's the whole point of the cliffhanger, right? Like force the person to, you know, impulse buy the next one. And I have seen like major publishers do that, where they put the first, you know, two or three chapters of the following book in the series tacked on at the end. It's not a bad idea. It's better than a cliffhanger because you you still get the satisfaction, but you, you also get let in to, oh, it's a new story. Yeah, we could, we could do that for sure. Yeah. Hmm. I'm not sure. It seems like a good idea. Well, I think it's a great idea. Yeah, me too. Hmm. I think James Bond is is clever. Like you know that Ian Fleming series. I mean, um, 
I'm, I'm only speaking about the, the movie. You know, James Bond starts out, James Bond movie starts out with this, we're almost like an end to what was what had come previously. So he always has this, you know, chase or something blown up or something, um, which is resolved in the first 10 minutes. And then called into the office and given his assignment. And mm. it's almost like, well, here's the end of that previous one. You know, now we're on to the real one. So it's, it's, a very, it's the same idea but, but the opposite way around. And I think that's quite clever. Same, the same principle as, as having something. You go, okay, well, I've had yeah. this one story. But there is another story that he's, you know, he's involved with. So maybe I can buy the next novel or watch the next movie. I've not thought of that before, but it is really clever. It sort of gives us impression that in his entire life is just that one series, one long series of of adventures that that sort of never end. Yes, he never gets a yep. nap. <laughs> he, he doesn't have a nap, no. <laughs> and when he does nap, it's always dangerous. You know, he can't nap. Indiana Jones did something similar, where you get this action sequence that's the tail end of of of, of an unshown adventure. To sort of mm. establish the character, this is who Indiana is. He's the kind of guy who gets, you know, is in some lost tombs. You know, this is how his day goes. And you get to know everything you need to know about Indiana. And you get invested in him a little bit because he does this exciting, you know, thing. And then the movie starts. Same principle, yes. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. 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 I did the same thing, Rowena. You didn't like it, but I started off with, like, this action oh. sequence to... See what kind of trouble my guy is going to get into, <laughs> and, and then I say, oh, "By the way, how did we get here two weeks earlier?" <laughs> so you know, Rowena, Rowena hates nonlinear stories. I've got yes. to tell you, if you have a nonlinear anything in there, Rowena will jump on it and then slash it to bits. Oh. Yes, no, get rid of that nonlinear story. That's right, Chucky Sorry. style. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's... I felt her wrath. Yes. I have felt it on many an occasion. You, you should. <laughs> I I used to write lots of nonlinear short stories and and have been soundly chastised many a time. Well, you have time travel in your in your series, and that must make it even more difficult. Because linear is relative to who is you're talking about. I, yes. Look, I can I can tolerate nonlinear things, but I reckon it takes it <laughs> takes a lot to. Um, to convince me it's worth doing. Well, that's the funny thing with our series is the, is the prequel, um, Wunderkind, can either be read first because it, it predates most of what happens, but for one character, Al, it happens after book five, before book six. So you could then read it, legitimately read it in there as well, which I think is quite cool. I'll look forward to that so I can severely criticise it. <laughs> I look forward to your severe criticism. <laughs> the other thing about Wonderkind was we didn't it's it's a prequel but we didn't write it first. Um William, and we didn't write it. We didn't write it last. <laughs> well you have to write it after you've already written something else otherwise you couldn't write it could you? Because you I wouldn't suppose. have it. It's it, it was a, an interesting experiment. I started with that. It was good. 
it definitely felt like a book that had been written to fill in holes in a, in a, in a, in a, in a more conventionally laid out story. Maybe not holes, but yeah. I think it did some of those things, Joe, because when we were writing it, we still hadn't figured out everything that was happening in the story. So as we wrote that, the story was being built. Yeah. So pieces of, of the books that we're putting out now and the one that's coming, uh, book seven, actually, well, two books coming, six and seven, but book seven is the one we're currently writing, has got a lot of tie-ins to Wonderkind and those tie-ins did not exist until, uh, well, before we wrote Wonderkind. <clears throat> well, this is true. I mean, I think it would appear to a lot of people who read us, who don't know how much we busk and extemporize when we're writing, would, would think that we've created this amazingly complex plot with characters <clears throat> who come in and out, who you know don't do anything for like four books and then come back in and of course. Uh, no, it's just it's just us the way we write. We not there's nothing planned. We didn't plan any of it. Well, I was going to say since you mentioned Bond, I really want to write a <laughs> Bond novel. I really want to write one. Um, and I just looked it up, and copyright on Bond will go out on twenty forty. So I'll have to wait. Okay. I'll have to wait until then to release it. Nice. Even though I might write. You could write chance. a. You could write a Bond esque novel before that. Yes, of course you could. Yeah. Well, I just there's just one story I want to tell, which which nobody ever did, and I, I think it's. It, I think it's the one that that needs to be told, which is how how Bond went from being a naval officer to being in um, MI6. And I think that could be a very good, very good novel. Yeah, we'll have to wait on that. Have to wait a few years. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I love Fleming, Fleming's writing, I must say. I think in terms of pace and action and intrigue, he does a really good job. He really does. Yes, he's, he's an exceptional writer, which is why it would be very hard to write write a novel that featured him between his, the books in his series. Hmm. I'm sure you're up to it. And certainly there are enough explosions and stuff in, in ZZF <laughs> stuff too. <laughs> yeah, I'm good with the explosions. I mean, yeah, I, I don't I know if you've gotten how... <laughs> go, go ahead, Joe. No, I, 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 was, I have this this theory I'm going to share um, that there are there are writers who can there are certain writers who are like Arnold Schwarzenegger is an actor, right? They can do a thing, and they might be a good thing. You might like it, but that's it. That's their range, right? Arnold actually, Arnold Schwarzenegger is actually very good at playing a certain kind of character. You just don't want to give him too much range because he's Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, and I'm, I'm dating myself at this reference because I don't know if you guys have watched all the Arnold Schwarzenegger action movies. They were, you know, bread and butter to people my age. Oh yeah, of course. But um, but but then but then there there are writers who have the skill to write in different voices to pick, and that's like a whole different level, and it impresses me. Like, I know, I know Bear has it, you know, Damien and 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 uh, uh, 
it's like when you can when you can say, oh, you know, I can write this actiony thing in a certain voice, and then I'm gonna go and I'm gonna write a Bond. Like that 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 blows me away. I would never even try to write a Bond. Like you know, a novel with a, a voice and a tone that's not mine. Well, I didn't say it would be any good. <laughs> I've read enough of your stuff that I think it would be. Um, and that that's it's well, you know, you oh, went to school lovely. for this. I, I did, yeah. Yes. I, I wish I had. <laughs> well, to, to be honest with you, I'm I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure if you hang out on ink and you keep getting stuff um, in the review in the review queue, you'll you'll learn as much. I mean, I, I, I think I'm not saying I'm not saying my time spent at university doing this was a waste of time because I learned a lot of good stuff. I had some great um, mentors, specifically at Oxford. Um, and it's yeah, it, it I don't know, it's, it's a foundation of knowledge, which is good and it's been really handy. But I think you could do just as well joining a group like Inc, getting crits regularly. You'll 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 get there. I really think so. So I'm not entirely sure how how worth it it was. Hey, I had a good time, so that was good. There are also a lot of free resources now. You know, the world is so different than when I was younger. You know, like like I, I keep I keep harping on this to people, but if you, if you want to write like genre fiction, you've got to watch like Brandon Sanderson's lectures on YouTube. He put he put a whole writing genre fiction course. And he recorded the lectures and you, you may not like Brandon Sanderson as a writer, but he's a very good teacher and he's teaching some basic stuff. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying you guys need to listen to it, but if you're like a new writer and you don't have a background in this, like it's just, it's brilliant stuff. It's, it's you know, 15 hours of lectures and they're just, they're free. And I can't comprehend people who are like, nah, I don't need that. Like, no, 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 you, you really do. You need, you need, you need some, some to know what the structures are, even if you're not going to follow them. Um, and that stuff is just available. I think yeah, it's true across the board. Two of my friends, their their kid, uh, is eighteen. Was do, was doing his eighteen. You know, the the exams you do at eighteen, which here are A levels. I'm sure they're different all around the world. Um, and was complaining about how bad his teachers were, and kind of just extricated himself from from them by going onto YouTube and learning the stuff he needed to learn through YouTube videos. And he, he, he got top results, so it's amazing really how, how much how much difference there could be now if if people if the education system adapted to that change. I mean I'm sure it must already be in some ways, but um, yeah. It really I think I think that's the thing is the first place I if I need to learn how to do something, the first place I look now is YouTube. Yeah. Well, the other thing about doing a course is that you can do the same course multiple times and get different things out of it. So as a novice writer and get one level of information out of it, then you've practised for a few years and you do it again and you realise that you'd actually not, not taken in the level of detail that is being provided. And then you can do it again and find out more stuff. So I think courses are always valuable. You know, it doesn't matter what what type of writing you are or, or, you know, how, how long you've been published for. It's, it's, they're all valuable and they're usually at the top of their field as well. So they're usually very, very smart and always good to listen to really smart people talk, I think. Sure. Absolutely. 
mean, for, for university really for me was we, we obviously did academic English, and so that was interesting in itself. But obviously, that's more focused on um, a philosophy of criticism more than anything else. But even still, that's quite useful in its own way and learn a lot of good stuff. Um, but I was always on the hunt for things I could use in my writing. Life. That's the best way to put it. It may not have been presented in that way or may not have really been a part of the creative writing course, but sometimes you'd, you'd read something and go, oh, do you know what? I can use that. Um, that was one thing. That, we were giving a heap of books to read as well, loads of books writing and the art and craft of writing. So I read all those. And other than that, it was really the conversations with the practitioners who were teaching the courses. More, more like the psychology of writing and you know, the psychology of delivering to a reader. But, but, but also in terms of um, your, um, you know, your process and establishing, establishing that you have a process. So that, 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 those were really good things. So I'm not putting it down. Um, but I, I still think, I do still think that joining a good writing community and you'll get most of the way there, you know. And we've, we've seen it happen with, like, Gandalf. I mean, he, he was the most engaged writer I've seen come through Inc. And, you know, Andrew especially hammered him for it. Um, we, it's true. He really did, mate. And and but but he he was the kind of person who just would respond, and he he wouldn't be he wouldn't be put off. He wouldn't, you know, go oh no I'm rubbish. He he would go yeah do you know what I'm going to work on this and I'm going to hammer it out. And and he he created what I think is an absolutely brilliant novel. Um, so I'm I'm yeah I, I'm convinced I'm convinced that it can work. Oh, it, I think a writing community is really to to writing success yeah because you can't see your own mistakes and but but you put it into the review queue and and you know seven, six people come and say you know here are all the errors i can see in your work and and you can go and fix it and then you've got a really great a great piece of writing and you're learning all the you, time as well yeah I'll and you might have all of whiskey that's right you <laughs> might ultimately to do it yourself, but it would have taken a long time because it's so hard to see what what's actually on the page as opposed to what you want to see on the page. Yeah, I mean, the other the other good thing that I would say about about course, and this probably leads into what Joe was saying a little bit, is that it was focused. It was absolutely focused on writing, and then. If you wanted to, if you wanted to push further into, into genre fiction, you could do that. But I think that was the, the basis: is that I've never, since I've done this course, I've never thought there was a genre I couldn't write in if I wanted to. It's just just adapting into that genre, and I think you, you can learn all the basic chops from writing literary fiction that then you can use. I mean, I honestly don't think fantasy and sci-fi are very far away from this. I think they're, they're both very literary. Um, yeah. Even more so, is they give you another scope in which to play, which is landscape, the uh, world, the world and the world building, which really add obviously what you would do with a literary novel, which is present a deep theme, generally speaking, 
and also find clever ways around problems that um, aren't genre specific. And if you look at some of the great sci-fi novels, um, I mean, nineteen eighty-four is a good example. It, it's it's using it's using the science fiction world, but all of the imagery and everything else that's going to help progress that deeply. So yeah, I, I don't think I honestly don't think science fiction and fantasy are too much of a stretch from the. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I don't think genre genre fiction is um, is really any genre fiction really is too far from literary fiction. I mean, it depends on how you define it, but a lot of I, I think the I think genre fiction to be good genre fiction needs to have a lot of literary elements in it, and and literary fiction to be really engaging needs a lot of genre elements. Like genre is mostly about plot driven novels, you know. And, a really good good story that you just want to tell, whereas literary fiction tends to be more about a character-driven novel where you get a character expose. But but without elements of both, um, the novel's a bit flat. I think I totally agree mm. with you. Yeah, I, I definitely like writing in that line where fifty-fifty. So um, so I, I've got an eye on the plot and an eye on the character as well. You know. Hmm. Uh, and I've always said that if you don't, if you don't relate to the character, if you're not engaged with the character, then the plot is basically going to mean nothing because you won't care what happens. But if you can make no. someone fall in love with your character, then they'll be all in on whatever plot you deliver. And so, if it's a good one, it can be an amazing read. Yes, totally agree. Yes, yes, it's getting those those two arcs going, you know, yeah. and really. Genre and literary are just, just, you know, one's more emphasised than the other, I think. I, I like think we do a pre pretty good job on the character in, in our series so far. At least I, I like to think that. Yeah, I think so um, too. Mm, yeah. I think so too. Yeah. I mean, we're both keeping an eye on that specifically as well, you know. Um, what, what's interesting is that all of the all of the inner arcs for the characters have kind of emerged in the telling, and in the book we just finished, book six, that was the point where the turnaround for each of those arcs has kicked in. So there's basically a huge consequence for each one of the characters based on their internal arc in this book, which leads them to the final stretch in the last two books. So we, we definitely keep an eye on that, yeah. I have to say, my favourite character is Stanley. Yeah? I love Stanley. Yeah. <laughs> we, all, we all love Stanley. I'm sick of Stanley. Ah, <laughs> <kidding>. <laughs> I like Stanley too. <laughs> Stanley's great. We're working on a short story with Stanley in it. Oh, good. I think that would turn out very well. Hmm. Yeah, it's his, it's his prequel. Um, mm. And I think everyone so far has had a pre prequel apart from him, right, of the, of the four main characters. Yes. Yeah, he hasn't had one yet, so yeah. he needs one. Mm. It's mostly done. It's not quite done. I'm going to put it through ink when it's done. Oh, good. Yeah. That's a good idea. Hmm. 
Yeah, the good thing about about the review queue in Inc. is um, is all the different sorts of readers who read your your piece. So people who wouldn't normally read like crime, from my point of view, will read mine because you know it's in the review queue, and they'll add comments in that other people wouldn't necessarily make. You know, or they'll see things that often quite things that other people wouldn't wouldn't have seen initially. So I, I just like the variety. Like that's the great thing about about a no um, a writing community that you know, people mm. are so different and they come from everywhere and all ages and all different people. So so you're getting this huge broad selection of people reading your work who wouldn't normally do it. So to make it good for all of them, um is is a, a wonderful advantage and because people need to review works to get their own crits you'll have people reading your work who don't even want to yes exactly <laughs> yes like i really don't like your i really don't like your genre but i'm reading it anyway yeah. <laughs> is what i think <laughs> and i was surprised i actually liked it <laughs> i had yeah. friends who, who read my book because they were my you know, the first draft, when I first wrote it, who read it because they were my friends as opposed to because they had interest in the book and they were not writers. And I got some very weird results from that. Not bad, but, uh, uh, you know, you have, to, you have to learn to sift through that kind of feedback. You know, there are people who are like, well, you know, th what they didn't like was what I was going for, which is different than, you know, th what they didn't like was something that wasn't working, period. Right. Yes. Oh, I never... Friends, yeah. Sorry, Andrew. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I never, I never show my work to friends because, like, if they don't like it, what are they going to say? <laughs> this is really awful. <laughs> and if, if they think it's really awful, then they won't be able to treat you in the same way afterwards. So it's a bit tricky. I had, mm. I had friends. I, I have certain friends who did say that, and it was okay. But, but oh, it's probably a minority of people who can do that. Hmm. I also wrote my first book having no idea what I was doing and having no writing community, which was a mistake. Like I wrote it without, without, you know, I never like, you know, the courses on YouTube, I keep, I keep harping on. I, I hadn't taken one. I hadn't read a book about how to write. I hadn't been in an English class in, you know, 30 years. And I was like, I can write a book. I read books, which is the dumbest, like <laughs> <laughs> most hubris filled position one can have. But, you know, so I'll figure it well, out. How hard can it be? Right. Yeah, it's right. I actually said that out loud, but I think I was thinking it on some level, and phew, uh, it was a bad choice. Yeah, yeah I can do better than that. Yeah, is the uh, the beginner writers cry? I think I can do better than that. Yes, and there's so sure. Wrong. Yeah, sure you can. It's but that's so hard. That's what motivates me to write. Like almost every time I write, it's because I see something in a book that I like, or or some type of media that I'm uh, medium that I'm consuming, where I'm like, this is not satisfactory to me. The way they handled this piece, I could do. The, you know, <laughs> it should be done a different way. Let me go write it, and that's what motivates me most. And that's a different thing, though, right? To saying, um, I can do better than that. That's saying that thing that they're doing. I would like it more if it were like this. Yeah, um, and you're going to go and make that happen. So you're creating something new. I think that's good, mm. but it, but it's so difficult to do that 
to actually go and and make it and have a have it be a whole story and a book that people actually like to read with characters they want to spend time with like hours and hours of time with it's not easy no no it's not i i think people think they can they can write i mean i'm pretty sure i thought i could write um just because i'd i'd had to do it at school and and then later mm. at work, you know. um but but the reality is it's very difficult and that's what makes it great. I mean, it's I find it endlessly fascinating. But it's almost like like sitting at a table and saying, "Well, I'm sat at this table, and that means I can make one." I yeah. know how it works. <laughs> I've been a well, you probably can. Drive. <laughs> like you could make a table. You could make something that is a table, but it it's probably not an elegant table, and it and it may not last. <laughs> it may not last the years that that a very well built table by a, a master craftsperson would 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 last. I don't know. Yeah. I I could. I think I've been able to write for a really long time, but that doesn't mean you can write a story that works. Or a um, and mm. the thing that really opened my eyes was novels. My goodness, just figuring out how to make them work. I'm still figuring mm. that out. Yes, yes. There's no actual place where you can go that says, this is how you do it. No, just follow this template. <laughs> you know. Mm. They're very complex things. Is Jay back? I can hear his mic. In a novel is like, a, like, a, like I don't know if you remember from algebra, simultaneous equations. You've got to solve oh, the answer yes. equation, but also the answer has to satisfy this and this and this. And to me, it's like, I look at a novel and I'm like, there are at any point, like, I don't know how many things. I want to say 10 things. You've got to think, like, oh, is this enough description here? Oh, but how does that affect the pacing? Oh, but how does that affect the, the anticipation and the build of tension, you know? And, and these things are, mm. you know, every sentence has to meet these, you know, 10 or, or whatever number of different needs simultaneously. And if you think about it hard enough, it's impossible. Somehow we do and it. No, and then it has to have meaning as well. And then ideally it would have meaning because one meaning is never enough. <laughs> Multiple levels right, of meaning. Right. Yep. But I write and then yes. I desperately reread hoping there's a theme. And then it means <laughs> something. Like, please, God, let me buy it. Because that's the other part is you can often accidentally meet many or all, you know, many of these needs. And I think, right, you just write a story and, it, oh, there's actually a lot of meaning. Oh, this character actually turned out really interesting, even if you didn't have the craft to do it deliberately. And that's why I think there are some people who write a great novel and they're done. Yes. Yes. Right? They have this luck. Like, oh, this really worked out. I didn't plan it well and I didn't know how to make it work, but it happened to work. Um, and then they're done. And it's like, well, I can't do that again. They or if I do it again. didn't know what they were doing. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Or it won't be as good if I do it again because, you know, I, it was a bit of, bit, of, bit of luck in there. Yes. I've, mm. I've always wanted to, so you, know, you study all this craft and you get better and you practice and you write lots and you submit mm -hmm. to publications and if you're lucky, you, you get things published. Um, and and I, I, I started to get this idea that, okay, I'm, I know what I'm doing now. To at least to a certain extent, mm -hmm. but but you know, in terms of the writing craft, I know these pieces of craft, 
but mm. can I take a story and craft it from scratch using those building blocks deliberately versus having mm. it just organically come out? And yes. I think being able to do the latter is what really makes like if you if yes. if you can say okay I need to write <clears throat> um, a James Bond novel and I need and it needs to be done in three months. Mm-hmm. How mm-hmm. do I do that? Well, I have all the skills now. I'm going to make it happen, and I work backwards from that three month period and what needs to be included, and you just write you write the novel. I mean, if you if you were ghostwriting, for example, you'd have to do something like that. You would. You would have yes. a maybe I don't know if you'd have an outline or you'd have a, a you'd at least have something you'd be working off and you would have to write it in a certain way and I think there's a lot of skill in that from a writer's perspective versus you know a natural ability to just be able to to write something um, and I've always wanted to be able to do that and and deliberately write a novel because I think if you can do that then you know you can do it. It's not, there's no magic involved. It's nothing has come from this muse from on high or whatever. It was created, crafted deliberately by you to be exactly what it needed to be. That That's 100% ownership of all the skills. And I, that's what I would like to aspire to. That like would be awesome. Write, sorry. So, like people who can write jokes, like there's a person who can craft a joke and there's a person who can sit around and like, jabber with their friends and sometimes something funny will pop out. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. That's how you get writer's block because if you're counting on something funny or clever or good to pop out, if you just sit there long enough and stare at the screen, right, as opposed to having an actual methodology, that's how you can, oh, well, nothing popped out today. I have writer's block, right? That's one of the ways. Right. I'm definitely, yeah. I'm definitely in with that second, second um, option. And and honestly, one of the things that I do is I'll go through the completed manuscripts and just try to be funny um, and come up with some funny stuff. <clears throat> and sometimes sometimes it's a hit, sometimes it's a miss. Sometimes it's so offensive and rude that Andrew cuts it. <laughs> <laughs> After I laugh at it. I laugh at it first and then I cut it. I yeah. need an editor to take out my dad jokes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I come by them. I come by them honestly. I have you know multiple children, but I can't help the bad puns. And I'm sitting there chuckling to myself, and someone else has to tell me, Joe, that's not funny to anyone but you. <laughs> you know, that's, trim that's, at least half that's of these. Okay. That's okay because there's lots. There will be lots of other people out there who, who like that stuff. So I don't think I don't think that's a problem. There are plenty of dads out there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> All generating dad jokes. Yeah. I once challenged myself to write a story, thinking about what you just said, Andrew, um, Mm. where there was one character and that character was was in a a hood. (laughs) So they couldn't easily see and they couldn't communicate with anybody else. And um, I thought, can I really write a story about that? And... So successful. It was like one of my favourite stories. And it was interesting because it was, it was a deliberate setup of technique. Do I, do I have the skill to do it and make it interesting? Mm. And, um, yeah, it, it, it is, it's a fascinating exercise to go through. I, wouldn't, I don't think I'd like to do it for a novel because that, 
goes on for too long. But a bit of the story, you can focus on the technique and see if you can do it. That's definitely a, a, a kind of literary approach as well, because it's half of the things that we're doing as literary writers are trying to push bounds and test new waters and yes. do things that aren't normal or, or you know, just ideas. Um, and I, I've done that quite a few times, but it's, I don't know, it's, 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 sometimes it's hard. The other skill is to get, get it so that a reader just accepts that's what's going on and they become comfortable quickly. But I think yes. that's, that's the issue is that when you, when you go out of the bounds, the biggest problem is, is alienating readers. Um, and yes. I, and I didn't used to care about that. But I, I kind of care about it more. Oh, I think you always have to think about who you're writing for. I mean, I, I just I write for pleasure, for my own pleasure. And so so if no one else likes it, 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 it does matter, but it, it doesn't stop me writing. Um, but it's it's amazingly better if you can write for your for your audience as well and to think you're actually um, communicating with someone else through this piece of writing that you're doing. Yeah, for sure. If I thought no one was going to read my books, I would probably not write them. You know, they'd be stories in my head. Um, it's a lot of work to get that on paper. Maybe I would. Yeah, but it is enjoyable too. I mean, there's a lot of fun sitting down and writing a character or something. I mean, there's, it's, I mean, some of the best fun I've had has been writing romance because, you know, hey, I'm a crime writer, really. I didn't intend being a crime writer. That's how I ended up because everything I wrote was to do with crime. So I thought, okay. I must, it must be a crime writer. <laughs> people were always dying in the kitchen. Anyway, and I never never come to my place to have a meal because obviously it's not safe. But didn't you kill uh, one character with a cactus? Yes, yes, I've, I've, yes, amongst other things, <laughs> okay. genetically modified cactus, so it had much larger spines than normal. Um, <laughs> Perfect. So the garden, the garden is not safe either. No, but <laughs> but well, some of the best fun I've had has been writing romance because obviously my romances are all just terrible, and I find them really hilarious because because they're so cliched and awful. <laughs> so and I will obviously never try to publish a romance because I obviously can't write them, but I love to write them for myself. If I'm feeling a bit down. I'll write a romance and laugh hysterically all the way through. I bet you there is a market for them, though. I know you, <laughs> say, that, I know you say there isn't, but I bet you there is. I bet if you released them. Maybe. Just saying. Maybe. <laughs> no, I just want to make sure I didn't kill anybody in the kitchen before it came out, because that just doesn't go with a romance. No. At least not with genetically modified cactus. No, during Doctor Puss, there is a really <laughs> good scene in one of my books, which is Death by Cassowary. I don't know if you know about cassowaries, but they're large, aggressive birds, similar to you know mean-looking um, ostriches um, with red legs. And one of my books has a Death by Cassowary because they're very aggressive. You know, they just shouldn't have been walking through that little patch of bush on their own. They're basically dinosaurs, aren't they? 
Oh, cassowaries, they are, yes, yes. And they have recorded deaths by cassowaries too, like actual deaths. They're much worse I, than um, sharks. Wow. I saw um, a, uh, so this was in the Australian real estate property market. There was someone's advertising a property in northern Queensland on the east coast of Australia, and in the in the shot on the the real estate site, there was a, a photograph of a cassowary with its chick, mm-hmm. and they had some um, marketing line on there about about the local wildlife and. And I thought, yeah, whoever comes and buys that property is not going to last very long. Cassowary's going to kill them. There should be like a cassowary, like a cassowary sign with a big one of those diagonal red lines through it. Like you know, don't go <laughs> cassowary. I'm sure there's a lower there's a lower danger level limit, like for people living in Australia anyway. I mean, half of the wildlife there can kill you, so maybe a cassowary addition isn't that big bigger thing. Well, well, I think it probably is, really. Also, cassowaries are very territorial, so if it's taken over your block of land, you're not going to get it to move easily. Very tricky. Yeah, I don't think you can get these to move. And and they were were trying to use it as a a selling point, and I'm thinking, (laughs) yeah, that's that's like having an alligator in your backyard and calling that a selling point. You know, that's not going to... It's no good for anybody. Quaint, quaint local yeah. wildlife for free. We're not charging you for it. It's just there. <laughs> beautiful scenic river with crocodiles. Ply now. <laughs> yeah, that's all no. Australia. <laughs> it's all the north of Australia anyway. Yes, well, that's where the, all the action happens, isn't it? Up there, yeah. yeah. You know your your blue ring, Doctor Puss, and your you know your stingray, and and your you know your innocent tick that kills you really rapidly and gives you Ross River fever and things, and um, and you know the cassowary and and the 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 platypus, which of course is totally poisonous if you pick it up, the male anyway. And um, I shouldn't go on, should I? No. <laughs> oh, they've got these big poison spurs on the back of their legs. Yes. I had no idea. Wow. Yeah. Mm. yeah you don't pick one up. You're not selling it very well. You're not selling Australia, I'm afraid. I think it's only the females that have it. No, it's the males. Oh, it's the males, is it? Okay. Yeah, oh, yeah. Really? I think the females don't have it. You've got oh, to jump okay, into the you, you've got to write an Australian Avengers uh, uh, analog. Uh, there you go, AAA, Australian Avengers analog, where where the characters all have the powers of Australian wildlife. You know, platypus man with the spurs on the back of his leg, poisoning, you know, whoever. Um, Marvel used to do that a lot. They would have these like sort of, na- like national superhero characters. Like, oh, this is the Mexican superhero dude, and oh, this is Sunfire, the Japanese superhero guy. They got Captain. Oh. In, they got Captain Britain, of course, who was terrible. I mean, yeah. the most unappealing character. 
They did a lot of good stories around him, though. Like, they had Alan Moore working on Excalibur for a ton of time, and they, they really tried to make good stories around Captain Britain. The character himself was pretty... I just actually reread the original, like, old Captain Britons, um, like, the, the, the origin story, because um, uh, I got Marvel uh, Comixology on my phone. You can, like, read, like, old comics from the 70s when I was a little kid. Nice. You know? <laughs> and, just, and I read all the origin story of Captain Britain. It's pretty terrible. But they got some good stories around him. Very weird. Alan Moore writes a lot of weird um, stuff. Like, very not typical superhero things. Like, not what you'd expect if you were familiar with, like, Marvel movies. Um, <clears throat> and they're always going that to sounds, other dimensions. That sounds really interesting. I love your, I love your idea of having a, a set of, of Australian marsupial superheroes i mean because they're all really strange like platypus man for example platypus is uh, uh, um um and when they eat they eat underwater but they have to have their eyes closed and i always thought that's a really bad design feature yeah, <laughs> totally is you could have you could have kangaroo man who's got a pouch like you just no, can he's got a whatever in there Kangaroo Man is a boxer. No, box. Kangaroo Man. Kangaroo Man would have quite pathetic um, arms and and very 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 big hips and legs and feet. He would jump up to people and punch them. And a pouch that he can continually stuff full of anything. You'd take him shopping. Yeah. Like a magical pouch of anything. <laughs> it's a pouch of holding. Yeah. You guys play D and D? A bag of yeah. holding. Bag of holding, yeah. Um, yeah. Fill it with guns. So what, 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 what snakes? You have taipans there, don't you? Oh, we <laughs> certainly do. Yeah, taipans are pretty mean. Yeah, the, the mulga brown snake is, is a very impressive snake. It's, it's quite aggressive and one of the most poisonous snakes in the world. Wow. It chases... So that would be the villain, right? That would be the villain in the superhero story. Or the female oh. character. Captain Taipan. Possibly. Why is it female? Hang on. That, that's, that's the comic trope. If it's a snake or a poisonous thing, it's a woman. It's like, um, it, it, I'm not saying it should be that way, but that is typically like Black Widow. Um, Medusa. Yeah, they, they always do it that way in comics. Um, just like um, uh, electricity is always a people of African descent. That's going right back to the Bible, isn't it? Because obviously the snake, you know, Eve was tempted by the snake. She's, she's, she's the cause of all evil. Um, that's not misogynistic at all. But yeah, no, I, 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 can, see, I can see the ties there. Hmm. Yeah, the, the, yeah. Make, making Madame Taipan, you know, as, as your character would, would only be funny to, like, the small fraction of people who have read enough comics to go, well, of course. <laughs> well, there you go. We've got that set up for a whole new superhero series. There you go. Yep. There's a whole new genre there. Yeah, I think, I think it's going to be funny. So what are you what are you writing, Joe? Like like 
what what's what's your novel about or have you got a series of novels all based on the same yes. thing yes so be yeah um they're all in the same world aren't they um, yes it's all the same main character it's all third person limited same main character i have i i have four well plotted and many more loosely plotted so you know my goal is to do a I mean, my dream is to do a, you know, a Jim Butcher type, you know, Harry Dresden thing where one day there's like 10 or 12 books that have an overall arc, but each one is a distinct entity. Like you don't have, you know, book one ends. I'll promise you that. At the end of book one, you're like, oh, I'm curious what happens after this, but you don't feel like any of the plot lines are unresolved. They're resolved. They're done. Um, and book two, same way. Um, but it's, it's a super, it's, it's, it's a super, so, the, the, it, you know, it, it, the, there's this alien species and what they discover is that they're, when they interbreed with other species, um, their children um, and only their children have, you know, dramatically, dramatic superpowers. And they can fly, they can, I, I, I would say, they can punch spaceships, okay? They're, they're weapons of mass destruction. In a military sense, they're unstoppable. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, so they go around and they sort of hide in, in populations and they have kids. And then they sort of emotionally manipulate them or, or you try, to, try to get them indebted. You know, you want to please your parents and they're the parents. And they get their kids and they form an army and they've created an empire based on these children. And um, main character is one. And, uh, you know, you, he's from Earth, he's from Canada, because I love Canada. That's really the only reason. And uh, he, in, in the beginning of the story, he has you know been a superhero on earth sort of a, a cape and cape and underwear on the outside superhero um and then um he has spent 10 years fighting in you know for the this galactic empire in wars and now he's done he's retired and he doesn't want to do it anymore because you get the sense that you know when you're fighting in wars it's stressful um and he's retired to a space station where he's a human tugboat or a half human tugboat he tows ships and then you know things happen and he gets embroiled in conflict. You know, the, 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 this peaceful, sleepy, out-of-the-way space station becomes an area of interest. Um, a wormhole opens up that hasn't been opened in 10,000 years, and people are trying to figure out why and what the ramifications are. And so all of a sudden, you know, it's all this interest on his little, like, sleepy corner of the galaxy. And he has, you know, and then he's got to deal with, you know, problems ensue, and... And and then is the every pro, you know every problem is a is a nail, you know when you're really really good at like punching things, but you don't want to be a puncher anymore. But sometimes you have to figure out how to solve your problems without just punching them. Mm -hmm. oh, that sounds good. That's, that's that's the subtext, right? He's really good at punching things, but he doesn't want to be the guy who punches everything anymore. Oh, that's a big conflict there for him. Yes. Yes, that's a conflict mm. for him, and for, and he also wants like a normal life and friends. And if you're the guy who goes around punching everything, it's hard to have those things. Mm, I might be selling it wrong. I'm not really good at explaining this, um, which is part of the reason I didn't try to get an agent because I kept trying to write query letters like, oh, just read other stuff that's like yours. I'm like, there isn't any. Like, people who write <laughs> superhero stuff are either trying to be a little literary or they're trying to be very uh, goofy. Or they're trying to be, um, um, 
you know, very grim, you know, the whole like, oh, if superheroes were really there, they'd be all messed up and they would engage in horrible activity. And there's nothing wrong with any of those choices. That just wasn't what I wanted to do. So, yeah, that's totally, that's totally fair. I mean, I always, I always, I've always gone with the the latter of those options, which is, I think, probably mostly inspired by Alan Moore and Watchmen, which is the people yeah. who had these powers would be pretty messed up in one way or another. Yeah, and that, that that's again nothing wrong with that. I'm a big fan of the boys, um, which is similar premise. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen the show or read the comic. But, um, yeah, love it. The show I thought was fantastic. Actually, I read the whole comic. And I thought it was great. I thought the show was even better, and which is is, is unusual, right? Um, but this wasn't what I wanted to do. You know, I wanted I wanted a guy who was a hero. Like you can tell he's done some grim things, but he's trying to be better. And that's the, the that's the the subtext of the series that he's trying to not be, you know, a jerk, which is easy to do. When, when, when you're the strongest guy on the planet and everyone you should, will do anything you ask them to because they would be afraid of you if, if they knew, you know, you, you, you can be a jerk and you can get away with it. He doesn't want to be. So I think, I that's, that was I think that's why superheroes have some universal appeal because obviously, you know, that's the thing for all of us. You know, we're all trying to be better people. We're all trying to do the right thing. But I think that's why it has, it, it is such a good concept. And it really does. It it speaks to something in most people, I think. Yeah, we also like the idea that we could actually solve our problems, or or or, or have the ability. You know, like, you know, like you know, if the mafia came after me right now, I would just be screwed. You know, but if I were <laughs> Superman, you know, I could just I could punch them or something. I think that's why people like crime fiction sometimes too. Like this, I don't know if you guys. I'm sure you guys know of The Sopranos. Oh yeah, big fan. But, mm-hmm. but, I think the reason people love Tony Soprano is there's this one scene where he's in a restaurant and there's this like kid, it's a nice restaurant and this kid's wearing a hat. He walks up to the kid and he's like, take off your hat. And the kid looks at him and has this sense of menace from him that he knows this, there's something backing him up that the kid doesn't know him, but the kid can sense that if he doesn't take the hat off, he's going to end up in a ditch somewhere. And the kid takes off his hat. And I'm thinking like, I'm a 50 year old guy. If I'm in a restaurant and there's some like 25 year old kid with a hat on, I'm not necessarily going to be able to pull that off. But we love the fact that Tony Soprano can go and make the kid take a stick. Every once in a while, he does terrible things, but he uses this power for, for good. Like, I wish I could make that kid take his hat off in the nice restaurant, too. Um, we love that. I always, it's a power I always, fantasy. I always thought he was a bit, he was sort of like half Homer Simpson as well. Just at the mercy of his family and, and yeah. un- unable to control them. I, thought, I, I always enjoyed yes. that element of it. Yes. Yeah, well, if, if if he has no flaws and no weaknesses, then it it, it just gets a little boring. You yeah. get tired of that, you know. But but at the end of the day, if Tony's you know Tony Soprano wants to get something done, it's going to get done. And uh, like a man, I wish I wish my life worked like that. And I'm not willing to you know make the sacrifices he made, but yeah, you don't you don't really want to be whacking people out or that sort of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah. So then, uh, that's book one, and book two is he has to he goes back to Earth. You get to see his to meet his mom. I don't know. So did did he fall in a vat of acid to for this to happen? No, no, no. He's uh, my character. He, he he's born like that. 
Right? Ah, you, okay. If, if, if you're, if you're, if you're the 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 males oh, the child, of this, the of these of this people, yes. Species mm. go around. They they have a hard time. You know, biologically. If, if if they were very fertile, the universe would be full of these hybrid children, and and it would be a very different story. So you know, they, you know, just I decided they're very infertile. They very rarely produce offspring, but they try really hard. And then uh, uh, you know, when they're when they're there, they, they, they weaponize them. So he he he's just you know, born like that. Um, uh, I, I, I didn't go into too much detail about his early childhood. I imagine his powers wouldn't have manifested fully. You never want the idea of a one-year-old like flying around and punching holes in things. Um, so that's why we always like our, our powers to manifest to puberty. And all the comics, all the mutants, like it comes to puberty. Like, all right, by the time they're twelve, they you know they have some sense of self-control. If your toddler is, you know, shooting laser beams out of their eyes, you really have a nightmare situation. <laughs> that would be quite a funny book to write, though. The boys does that. Um, Boys has a toddler can shoot laser beams. The, the superhero kindergarten school book that would be that would be quite cool. What a nightmare! That would be quite funny. <laughs> obviously, obviously the uh, you know the people looking after them have to be well. They have to have powers. Preferably mm. mm. defensive ones. Mm. But then the whole world would know you have to live in fear of the nanny because the nanny is like one of the toughest humans alive. Yes. <laughs> Would have to be to survive that. Exactly. Yes. And can keep all the little monsters under control. You know, they, they whisper his or her name and, you know, in fear. Oh, mm. watch out for that one. That's right. I was always fascinated by this whole thing of superheroes, you know, not, not your, your naturally born superhero, but your created superhero falling into a vat of acid. And then coming out as something entirely different. We kind of did that with, with our, our book, really. For, for Millicent, anyway, she, she's kind of an altered human. Um, obviously, she gets hit by this big bat of, um, of chemical gump, whatever it is, and she gets her powers. Right. Ah, yes. It's a. <laughs> At least it's not a vat of acid, though. I mean, it would be very painful <laughs> into a vat of acid. It's like the Hulk, right? He, he's, he's near a gamma bomb that detonates and it gives him, gives him, you know, these amazing powers instead of just killing him or giving him leukemia. Mm, that's right, yes. <laughs> or Spider-Man bitten by a radioactive spider. That's another good one. Oh, that's right, yes. What happened to yes. the Fantastic Four? Weren't they in space near a... Supernova or something. I can't remember. I think it's a, it's a genre question, right? I think su most superhero comics are trying, or most of them were trying to be soft science fiction. Like science fiction, mm. you say your 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 impossible things are a product of technology, or right? And you're claiming that, even if it's obviously not true. But if you are claiming, if you use the word magic then you are fantasy and not science fiction anymore, right? So like, yes. You know, Doctor Strange, like, if, 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 if Spider-Man was created when a bunch of, you know, demon worshippers summoned a spider god and his spirit accidentally inhabited a teenage boy and he had the exact same abilities as Spider-Man, right? That would be a fantasy. I would watch that. 
Yeah, but you could tell the 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 story could be exactly the same in every way. But the fact that it was a radioactive spider makes it soft science fiction instead of fantasy. And they were trying to go for that kind of reader. I think it was cooler. And then it, once the 70s had, they went to more fantasy. They, you know, introduced Doctor Strange and they had more the mystical side. But the mystical side of like Marvel Comics was always kind of separated from the, the science fantasy. The same thing with Superman, right? He's an alien from another planet. That's why he has these powers. It doesn't really make sense. But again, if he was a servant of Cthulhu who had these powers, he would have a whole different feel. Mm-hmm. I think about this a lot. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. Totally agree with that. Mm, so do I. Yeah. I really like the concept of the edges of ideas, though, which I, I, we were talking about yesterday in Inc. And it was, I think it comes from Damon Knight, which is what you, what you write is not science behind fiction, but you write about how the technology has changed the lives of the people who use it. So, so what it does rather than how it works. Um, mm, mm, yes. And it, it doesn't slow things down so much. Obviously, this isn't good for hard science fiction because um, people who read hard science fiction obviously want, they want that. They want that element of explaining how the technology works. Yes. Depends on the reader, right? Because the, one of the, one of the things is in, internal consistency, right? Like if you have technology that can do X, and, and if you think about it, it should be able to do a whole bunch of other things that aren't present in the book. If you haven't really thought through all the ramifications, there are readers who are going to be fine with that, but there are readers who are going to be turned off by it. Mm. Well, the example and you have to sort of the example they use in Tur- Turkey City Lexicon is, you know, the a reader doesn't need to know how a, a warp drive engine works. They just need to know what it does, which is it, it gets people it gets people from A to B very fast, and it also gives them gives them um, hallucinations of past lives. And I, I quite like that idea because it, it, it can make you think of, of it in different ways if you're concentrating on what it does rather than how it works. And it can make you think of stuff that's also useful in a story. I quite like that. Yeah. I think that's right about how how things work. It's important um, that that's really clear, but not necessarily. Sorry, not not necessarily how it works, but what it's meant to do. Right? Yeah. If I'm understanding you correctly, yeah. So yeah, it does you're... these things. We don't know exactly how that how that works, but but I think the 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 harder you get into harder science fiction, the more you need to be explaining how things work. At, at least, and they should be plausible and and generally extrapolated from actual science. Yeah. I'm not sure. I'm, I, I don't read hard science fiction. Um, I, I mean, I read some when I was younger, but I, I always feel mm. like it gets in the way of the story a bit, but I'd rather be reading the next part of the story than having this explanation of the technology. But obviously that appeals to certain readers, so who am I to argue? What's fun is like the expanse. I don't know if you guys have, have read the books or seen the, the TV show, but it, it's it's a very hard science fiction setting. They try really hard and mostly successfully to imagine like a world not too far in the future where we've settled like the solar system and the technology all seems 
very closely like believable based on what we can do today, just more. Um, and then they run into this alien artifact that can do magical things. And they, so you, you've got both in the same story. You've got right. like these ships where they pay very close attention to like things like, you know, how the, how the engines work and, you know, what, what effect it would have on people to live without, you know, and reduce gravity as a serious impact on everybody. Like they really thought through everything. And then there's this alien artifact that's, you know, tens of, you know, ancient and so far advanced it might as well be magic. And they have to sort of put the two in the same story side by side. It's kind of, uh, it's also, also has, you know, good characters and interesting plot lines and stuff well that's good i'll have to check that out i've, I've heard of it but i've not i've not seen it or read it so, so that will be on my list i've not read the novels yet and i'd like to i've started watching the series and 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 stopped but not because i wasn't enjoying it um i think i think i ran out of time because we were writing zz adams novels <laughs> yeah it's run, run out of all time Tends to get in the way of everything else. Well, on that note, we'll, we'll I think we'll bring things to a to a head. Um, it's been a very long, it's been <laughs> it's a very long, not a podcast. But it's been great having you all. Um, so say goodbye to Joe. Thank you. Goodbye. Bye for having me. Bye. And goodbye to Andrew, aka Easy Adams. Bye everyone. And goodbye from me. Goodbye.